Hi, welcome to Modern Animism Radio. I'm your host, Laura Giles, and I am joined today by Ryan Starling and Sherry Calvert. And today we're going to be talking about medical sovereignty, so just the uh, ability to speak up for your own health. Sounds like a simple thing, right? (laughs) So let's get started by acknowledging the ancestors and elements. I acknowledge and thank the element of earth for giving us a home, our bodies, a firm foundation, our food, and all the things that make um, a human life possible. I acknowledge and thank the element of air for giving us the ideas, inspirations, the ability to hopefully speak clearly today, hear what each other has to say, and um, give everybody the powers of discernment to, to decide what works for them. Uh, I also like to thank the element of fire for giving us the power to create changes um, and acknowledge the element of water. So thank you for showing us how to bounce back, take it easy, go with the flow. Sending thanks and gratitude to our loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral kingdom. Thank um, thank them for all the blessings that we receive that are seen and unseen. And I also thank you, our listeners, for being here today. And uh, we ask you for your support, your feedback, and if you'd like to send donations, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Pam Society. So medical sovereignty. Um, I know that in this group, the three of us, that's kind of a big topic. So just to kind of catch up anybody who doesn't quite know what sovereignty is, it's just basically the freedom to choose your own destiny um, as it relates to your health. So it could be anything like herbs. Um, alternative medicine, surgeries, any, what, anything that has to do with health, eating, you know, eating or growing fresh alive foods, anything like that. So welcome, you guys. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, sure. It's good to have you back. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been. <laughs> and you too, Ryan. Hi, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do any of you guys have any particular hot buttons with uh, medical sovereignty or anything that you're noticing in the world happening? Or your communities, your family? Um, I'll go first. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of things that are always ongoing, right? I think a lot of people don't understand what their rights are as far as um, when they go to the hospital, the HIPAA laws. um, It varies state by state um, as far as what medical care they receive. And um, right now, I am personally dealing with um, a bigger issue. So it's not my personal sovereignty uh, medical-wise. My father's, um, as he's aging, He's developing more and more health issues and um, trying to navigate a system where I want to make sure all of his expectations and rights are met, like um, that that he's not getting over-medicated, that he's not, that uh, if he decides he's done, you know, he doesn't get any more. And um, I mean, this in particular, like there's one situation where um, we had to go to the ER because um, he had stubbed his toe and he has diabetes, so uh, wounds don't heal as quickly, and um, they thought it was infected. So I took him to the ER, and then, you know, in the ER, they noticed other things, but because this was not the hospital that he normally attends, they didn't have all of his records. And so because of his certain um, levels, they wanted to keep him, and I told him that they, you know, I was like, well, look, we need to talk to him. So I asked my dad, I I explained everything that they were talking about. And he was like, I don't want to stay. And I was like, all right, well, as long as you don't want to, I will fight for you to not stay. Um, And so it actually kind of almost became a kidnapping situation because the hospital was trying to force him to stay against his will. Like they weren't trying to hear what he wanted. You know, he just wanted to go home and be comfortable. And his other doctors were very aware of what you know his situation so it was kind of crazy that he didn't have autonomy over his body like it was almost a situation where I thought I was gonna have to legally fight for him that's really crazy that is really really crazy yeah I hear these stories all the time like it's 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 one of those I think a lot of people tend to believe that doctors 
um, know everything, so it's well within their rights. But I think at some point, I have to respect that, you know, my dad understands he's dying. My dad understands these things are happening. So he doesn't want all these invasive procedures. He just wants to be left alone in peace. He's not in any pain. And so, you know, I think we owe him that dignity, right? Like, Absolutely. But I'm not sure. I think, and maybe I'm assuming, that a lot of the older generations were brought up to believe that doctors are right. Because I know that with my mom, she won't even question them. She's just like, if this is what you think, then this is what I'm going to do. So I think we it's right. up to us to, to take that sovereignty. For sure. And and make sure we, you know, because with my dad, he's still cognitive enough that he, he understands what's on. But um, the other day, like I have to, it's this whole last month and next month, it's just nothing but doctor's visits and tests and stuff. And I told him, I was like, look, the moment you're tired of all this, you let me know and we will stop. Like, no, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And I was like, but, you know, as long we just need to sit down and make sure you understand and I understand what your desires are. Um, same thing with the medications uh, where the, he, you know, he's he's old, like he's elderly. He has a lot of stuff going on. He didn't really take a lot of great care of himself. And so he's on, a, you know, they are prescribing him a lot of medications, you know, for blood pressure, diabetes, like the whole battery that I, I'm pretty sure that everybody just gets when they hit a certain age. And he's not taking his meds. So there was a situation where I think they were trying to imply that I was supposed to make it. So for clarification, he doesn't live with me. He's in assisted living. But they can't force him to take medicine because he's an adult. He is a fully functioning adult, just like any adult in your own home. Like if you don't want to take it, you don't. And because of a situation, they were trying to either force me to take power of attorney over him and I told him, even if that was the case, I still wouldn't make him take the meds if he didn't want to. So there was starting to be a situation where I think they're going to start calling in, like, social services or DHS on me. Not DHS, but some kind of social services on me to because apparently I'm not taking good enough care of him in their eyes. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. It's It's almost like you don't have any rights. So if you... Don't do enough, you're in trouble. If you do too much, you're in trouble, and everybody else has authority over that over somebody else's life. The government has authority over someone else's life. Right, and, and it's crazy. That way, this is, it is crazy because where I live, you you can't even drink raw milk unless you grow it yourself. Mm. I mean, it's food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's it's. I'm, like, when you think about all these labels that we have on everything, like, don't iron your clothes while you're wearing them. Like, I'm sure something happened or somebody sued and got that on there. But at some point, it's right. down to the point that can we not take care of ourselves? Like, I, I, we have the Internet. We have access to information. If not, we can ask somebody. Like, it's just, I, like, have we gotten so far that we're just so reliant on somebody else to tell us what is okay to do? And then... Now that we have to fear that we might lose our rights and and our lives just because we're not following what you think is right for me or my family, and it's bananas. Well, like a lot of times they're wrong because if you look at so I'm in mental health and if you look at the guidelines for childcare, you know how you here's the expert way for how you raise your child. So a generation does that, and then the next generation says, okay, now here's how this generation messed up their kids. And it's because they all follow this expert advice. <laughs> like now it's coming out with uh, the dangers of helicopter parenting and make it, making your life child-centered. Whereas before that was like, oh, the child needs love, you know, and all this kind of thing. Well, of course they need love, but they don't need to be the primary thing and you tiptoeing around them and doing everything around your kids like they're the, 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 you know, the kings of the universe. And that's why we have all these people who can't problem solve and take care of themselves. Mm. I think we have to teach people how to take care of themselves. We have to give them the autonomy to do that. And it can't be the authorities of doctors or some third party. Right. I think the authority part is very important, too, especially in situations like you were mentioning where 
there are already people in place who may appear to have more authority than you. And one of the ways that they maintain that is with financial punishments. So sometimes Mm. if you decline things and you are labeled as noncompliant or combative or refusing medical advice, um, if they have you sign something AMA, which is against medical advice, your insurance won't pay for it either. So depending on where you fall in that spectrum, knowing that you will be financially accountable for your own decision can also be a huge deterrent in speaking up for yourself or your dad or the person that you're taking care of as well. Right. But and I that's imagine not okay. in, it's not, not okay. But I imagine too, in your field, Ryan, um, I don't know if everybody knows Ryan's a doula um, and that could be illegal in some States. Like imagine that you can't have a birth plan and a way to have the baby your way. Like, so I imagine you face a lot of discrimination in your community and in the medical community. We do. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, chose to become a midwife instead of an obstetrician was that our primary focus is mother baby centered. So we want what you want. And while we absolutely have evidence-based protocols and things in place to guide our decisions, one of the things that sets the midwifery model apart is that communication and care, that collaboration and care that says, hey, this is what the research tends to tell us tends to be most effective. How do you feel about this? This is why it's most effective. What would you like to try? Do you have other thoughts, questions, whatever? And it becomes a truly informed decision. Um, One of the things I hate is the term informed consent because it implies that if I tell you, you will agree. And I don't like that either. (laughs) It should be a discussion where we both talk about it so that you maintain that bodily autonomy, that sovereignty over the decision and the outcome of your care. Because ultimately, you do have to live with the outcome. You do have to live with the consequence. So if I do what's only ever comfortable for me, at some point, that's going to lead to a bad outcome for somebody because that's everybody's an individual. Everybody's different. A one-size-fits-all does not fit all. So no. you absolutely should be empowered to speak up and say, you know, I know that this, this is the first line drug or whatever, but I'm actually allergic to that, <laughs> whatever the case may be, and speak up for yourself without fear of financial punishment, reprisal, or anything, you know, coming back on you because you said, mm, can we maybe look at some alternatives to that? Well, and I right. think one of the problems with that is with corporate medicine, they've got like 15 minutes to spend with you, if that. Right. You start mm-hmm. asking questions, it's managing because they don't have the time to answer you. So it's yeah, like, you know, you do what you say and shut up. <laughs> right. I. So I have that issue, too. So I'm a clinical herbalist. Um, and so with the way that laws are changing here in Alabama, um, and even in, in before the law, it's like we struggle. And I did actually have an incident where um, I had a client who, so we have to be very careful with what we call, you know, what the labels are for everybody, first of all. But um, I did have a client who had an issue. She ended up getting hospitalized. And um, <laughs> she actually called me to ask what I gave her, even though I told her, I was like, anytime something happens, like I will stand by everything. Um, but she was afraid for me. She thought I was going to get in trouble and that I was going to end up going to jail. Um, and I said, that's, that's all right. That's, I knew this going into this, that that was going to be a possibility one day. Um, and it turns out what happened to her wasn't even anything. It was, she, it was acetaminophene, the, the drugs that the doctors were giving her for pain had caused her some kidney and liver issues. Um, so it was just one of those things that she had to fear for me in helping her naturally balance her body for other things and that the doctors weren't even going to give her the time of day or the fact that they don't even let me talk to them um, when things like this do occur. Like I've rarely met a doctor who allows me to speak (laughs) when it comes to certain things or I've had doctors call and yell at me because of things that I'm giving their patients. Or, you know, like if, if I'm changing their diet or something like that, or suggesting. So I'm not even, it's not that I, I give you a protocol. Like I give you options and it's up to you if you want to do them or not. But, you know, it's big clash. 
this is where I think the the individual needs to take sovereignty, though, because as part of one of the things that I do with everybody, usually in the second visit, is talk about their diet. And I have so many people say, well, are you a dietitian? Are you a doctor? You know, oh, I'm going to get that advice from somebody. Like, it's so compartmentalized, like it's not holistic. And to me, if I'm a therapist and I'm not talking to you about your nutrition, then everything else that I could be saying could be wrong because if your body isn't doesn't have nutrients and it doesn't have the energy to change, it doesn't matter what I do because change is not going to happen. Absolutely. Right. I mean, people have to know, you know, or, or let's say that, you know, I know that I have allergies or something like that where I can't eat certain things. Every diet's not going to work for every person. So you have to advocate for yourself and you have to know your body. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know how, like, they don't really know that they can, for one, because, I, you know, you're raised up in a society where doctor knows best. And I'm not trying to bash all the medical science because, I, you know, there are some reasons that allopathic medicine, or you know, it comes in really handy and there are great uses for it. But it's knowing that balance, like, when to intervene like that and when not to. But being ingrained... Um, to just trust doctors blindly and never ask. There's a lot of people who have no idea what they're taking. <laughs> They'll just show up at every doctor appointment with their bag of pills and, you know, all the bottles and labels and never once question, when am I supposed to stop taking these? They just assume it's for life. And it's, it, it's trying to reach people and let them know that maybe you don't have to. Maybe you don't have a condition. You have a condition that can be changed by diet or, exercise or it's a mental game like it's there's lots of reasons but you know it's letting people understand that they can take control like they don't have to do these if they don't want to but also they can control their lives to the fact that maybe they need to make those changes to get off those meds as well well and too i think let's say your doctor does give you medication that is really good for you and then gives you something for something else I think it is up to you to know what you're taking. Don't just be like, oh, my doctor gave me this. Because when I worked in the methadone clinic, every single death that we had was because methadone, which is an opiate, was given when the client was also on benzodiazepines, which mm. will make your heart sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every single one. Every single death. That should not have happened. No. I mean, unless they were trying to get high, which in most of the cases it actually was that. But still... You know, you need to know, you need to be informed about the drugs you're taking. Mm-hmm. I think the, you touched on it briefly, that people don't know how to. I think that sometimes they forget that it can be as easy as saying, can you explain that to me some more? Having a very direct question saying, I'm not sure I understand this. Can you tell me why you think this is best? It doesn't have to be confrontational. It doesn't have to be combative. And even if you find yourself kind of having that shrink back, like, oh, I can't say that, there's some really great phrases that are so basic and so easy that are so hard to take offense to. Like, you know what? I've just had a really bad experience with that. I'm sure you understand. I'd like to maybe look at something else. That makes it very hard to get defensive because you're taking responsibility for your own experience and asking them to help you have a different one. That's super easy, very hard for them to, you know, get ugly after the fact. And that opens that door for alternatives. It really can be as simple as that to take control, put yourself back in the driver's seat, and make those choices. That's a really great tip. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it it has me thinking. The earlier earlier when you said that there's like punishments too, like the the monetary um, if insurance will drop you. Because I think um, now that you're saying all this, like I'm remembering when I used to live in Pennsylvania, um, it took me two years to get on a list for a gynecologist when I moved there because they they I guess they had such a litigious problem that a lot of them just quit their practices, and so the waiting list nice. was just huge. Yeah. And so when I finally got in to one, um, I was having a lot of pregnancy issues. And um, even then, like I was very, I, so I was nowhere in my clinical studies for herbalism or anything like that. Then I was, I was just young and um, 
I do remember like being treated terribly because they're like, oh, it's just a thing. It's fine. Women have miscarriages all the time. Don't worry about it. It's, you know, and then after a while I was like, no, something is really weird. But they, it was like a doorknob thing, right? They were, they were just giving me my 15 minutes and that was it. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to find another, like I was calling friends now and asking for favors and getting into other gynecologists. And it got to the point that I actually got accused of doctor shopping mm-hmm. because I wasn't happy with whatever answer I was given, right? And so I did finally find a doctor that would listen to me and, and do all of that. And it, it, But by that point, like, I was feeling horrible. Like, I was shamed by my choices. Absolutely. I, I had no information because nobody would actually explain anything to me um, at the mm-hmm. time. And um, so I, I think some people don't, they'll get defeated along the way as well. Like, it, it's a brutal process if you have to fight for yourself so much. Definitely. And the doctor shopping, I hate that that has a negative connotation because you should be able to shop for a provider that you feel comfortable with. You can be the best clinician in the world and you are still not going to be the perfect provider for every patient that comes to your office. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason you need different types of people to do different types of jobs, even in the same field, so that everybody does have somebody that they're comfortable with. So that Mm. shouldn't, we really need to take the stigma out of that and realize that, yes, people absolutely have the right to find a provider that they click with, that they can develop that collaboration and care and that dialogue easily and freely with. I mean, and I think along with this, so for that battle for me, um, I was alone. Like, I didn't really talk to anybody about what was going on with me then. And I, I, in hindsight, that's a huge mistake. So always, like, have um, – what I learned along that way, too, was to have somebody with me who understood my, my desires and my needs and advocate with me when I advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. I, I actually had an in, – well, during that instant, um, I ended up having to have a surgical procedure – um, but we, the doctor and I never really talked about what was going to happen. It was supposed to be an exploratory thing, but then during that ex- exploration, he found something he didn't like, and he decided to remove body parts from me. Oh my goodness! And we never, we never talked about this. I never knew that that was an option on the table. I never knew. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just kind of say it. Like I had to have my. T- he removed my t- my fallopian tubes. So this is huge. Wow. Like this is. My- my future, you know, fertility and all of this. Um, and afterwards, he explained, he's like, I talked to you. I was like, I was under anesthesia. Like, how am I supposed yeah. to answer you? And then my husband wasn't there. And even then, you know, it's something we didn't know a lot about at the time. So had I known better at the time, I would have asked more questions, but I would also have had an advocate there for me who could have made decisions for me and stuck mm-hmm. to what I was. Yeah. Because I've even situations where um and there was this awful video a couple of years ago where um this woman was giving birth and she had been in labor for a lot of hours and the doctor was just tired of it and he's like look we're just going to do the episiotomy and we're going to push this baby out she's like no i want to try to have she you know she's sitting there saying she wants to try naturally just let her try and then even her mother is in the room and she says just listen to the doctor he you know and it was just brutal like the whole situation was brutal and um, I don't know if the video is out there. I'm sure there was advocacy groups. And that's one of the things that scares me, too, is that you need to have an advocate who will still stand up with you even in this moment to make sure that your wishes are fine and help you fight, too. I think that um, your advocate is such a good word. It's It's so easy to get caught in that, you know, sit down and do what they tell you thing. And that person should be objective knowledgeable, know what you're looking for as your outcome, Um, understand, like you said, what you want, what you don't want that can advocate clearly for you in the moment. And those phrases still work even in that. You know what? I'm sorry. We've had a really bad experience with this before. Can you just explain what might happen during this a little bit better so that we understand? "Mm, We're not quite comfortable with that. Can you explain some more? Can we do this as an alternative? Why or why not? One of my favorite tools for um, decision-making is the BRAIN model. It's a very simple acronym that right now escapes me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) benefits is B. What are the benefits of this procedure? What are the risks is R. What are the risks of this procedure? I, what is your, oh, I skipped A. (laughs) A is alternatives. What can we do instead of this procedure, this drug, this whatever? 
I is your intuition. What does your gut say? And then N is nothing. What happens if we do nothing? You should be able to go through all of those for any procedure, medication, anything that's being offered. And if that provider can't answer those questions to your satisfaction, you should absolutely be able to say, no, thank you, or I need more time, or I need more information from another provider, please, before you decide. And in the moment like that where, you know, in your case, you're very vulnerable, he said he talked to you, but you are in no state to make decisions, those risks should have been disclosed very clearly to you prior, and you should have known that that was possible, and he should have known what your wishes would be beforehand. Even if it's, you know what, we'll table that and come back to it, I understand that that's a second surgery, and I'm okay with that. Whatever that decision was, you still should Mm -hmm. have had a voice even in that vulnerable moment. And that's terrible. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, thank you. Now, um, that brain thing, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> we definitely need yeah. to post that around a lot. Yes. <laughs> I posted it on all my stuff. I'm like, here, anytime you have questions, stop and use your brain. Super simple. One of the things that I noticed the last time that I went to the doctor, and this is corporate medicine, is that they have like 25,000 pages of consent and buried in there is one of the things that says that pretty much it it doesn't say it in these words but we can do whatever we want to you when you're in your when we are in when you are in our office if it is in our best interest and I've had that come back to bite me because back in the day I didn't really read those like a lot of people you know they just like to find stuff and um, I was in the dentist's office, and my tooth had pitting, which I'm like, I'm, I'm okay with that. And they're like, well, it's a pre-cavity, so let's drill it. I'm like, no, you don't need to drill it. And, and we talked about this three times, and three times I refused. So I'm in the dentist chair, and, and she drilled a hole in my tooth. I was furious, and I had asked her, you know, what is the kind of doing the brain thing? what is the material that you plan on putting in my mouth? And I could not, because it was a new thing, there was no way to tell if it was a toxicity level. I wasn't comfortable with the risk. I didn't want it. And they did it anyway. And when I filed a board complaint, they were just like, well, you said that she could do whatever she wanted to when you came in your office. I'm like, how is that informed consent? Right. So they did nothing. And it was just like, well, too bad, so sad. And I think what I'm seeing with practitioners is that some of them are being brave enough to say, you know what, I don't want to work for this type of outfit. I'm willing to do it on my own or go with a smaller practice or, you know, which I I applaud that so much and would much rather support that person who feels to me to be more humane and more more about service and, and helping than the one, to me, who seems like the one who's in it for money. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the scary thing, right? Like, is how much of this is elective? Like, you, you honestly, absolutely didn't really mean need to do it. Like, how much of it was just for money? And then how much of your procedure was done? And this is, you know, um, would you say corporate medicine? Um, how much of this was done because of time? Like, you did it, this was the fast method. You were limited on time, and that's why you chose this way instead of, you know, um, going with a different route or just waiting and seeing and then revisiting it later. Like, it's 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 sad how much we're really not in control and then there's a whole body of government behind protecting them that, you know, it's Absolutely. okay to just be just cattle. <laughs> yeah, I know my um, OBGYN every year at my annual exam would ask me, are you done having kids? Do you want to think about getting those tubes tied? And I'm like, wow. why do I want to do that? <laughs> why do I want to do that? <laughs> and it to me it just seems that it didn't seem like it was one of those care things, but it's like, okay, it's me putting on my sales hat. And I love this guy, so don't get me wrong. I thought he was a really great um, OBGYN. But it's like, okay, how can I make some more money for myself today? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I see because right now, like, um, I am 39, so I'll be 40 next year. Uh, I've already got the mammogram pressed onto me. Like they're like, you want to do a mammogram? I'm like, am I old enough? Like I, it, so I have to do research on this, but this is something I'm not comfortable with. But also because I've already had my tubes removed and I had my tubes removed when I was 24. So I already had that trauma. Um, and now it's like, so you're not using it. So you want to get a hysterectomy? And I'm like, 
why it's not hurting me. <laughs> like I don't understand why all these things are con like it's like constantly just chipping away at my body. You just want to keep taking my organs from me. <laughs> like I mean, even if I'm not using it, it's still mine, <laughs> and it's not yeah. in it's not poisoned. It's not in jeopardy. It's not causing me any pain. It's not killing me in any way. And so, yeah, and I, that's because you might come out without a spleen or a gallbladder, because quote unquote, or appendix, because quote unquote, you don't need it, <laughs> right? I think the pathology mindset is also partially to blame that anything that's unnecessary could become a problem, so we'll just take it away from you, and then you don't have to worry about it. Instead of treating the whole body like one system, and the happier and healthier we keep it happier and healthier it will be period mm. just don't cut things out <laughs> right <laughs> look at the whole system and make sure the whole system is functioning optimally for that system instead of well this could become a problem well anything could become a problem really so <laughs> <laughs> well plus the the host of medicines like say you know i had had a hysterectomy what are the drugs that i'll have to take for the rest of my life what are, what mm -hmm. am i going to have to do you know, because that changes hormones, that changes, it puts me in menopause, like it changes everything for a long time. So now there's that money going out. And then also the host of the, you know, whatever issues could come from that, like the possibility of cancer from the progesterone or, you know, whatever, like it's just so many what ifs. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think there's a problem when the, the, motivation for medicine is not care but finances mm -hmm. and if you're in corporate medicine you do have quotas you have to meet certain things and you have to do all these things because I have doctors who are clients you know and they complain to me about this all the time and I would have a really hard time putting my care in someone's hands where that was their their motivating factor mm -hmm. yes I would absolutely treat five people in the absolute best manner for them than 10 people kind of sort of okay. <laughs> right. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to live with yourself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't live with myself if that's how I did care. No. I mean, I think that says and something then, right? Their, their lack of sovereignty for providing, well, for you know, listening to the Hippocratic Oath for one, but then also the violation of other people's bodies without their consent nor knowledge. Well, and I think the death industry is the same way. And you would think in death you would have sovereignty. Mm -hmm. But you have this mindset that death is dirty, you have to do it with a with an undertaker and and, you know, you have to do it you have to outsource that. And death is part of life. And I think you should be able to do whatever you want. If you want to have the body taken home, if you want to die at home, I don't even know if you're allowed to die at home these days anymore. You know, if you die at home, do you have to go to the hospital? Does anybody know? Um, or can they do there? They can do hospice care at home, but the, I think you're required a nurse. Like they're going to force um, somebody's going to set up a situation where there's a hospice nurse that comes in every now and then. So I think you can die at home, but it's, somebody's still going to be there administering drugs the whole time, and uh, you're going to be hooked up to whatever machines they send home with you. So they'll send a hospital bed home with you. That's my understanding as well. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm with you there, too. Like you, just, you can't even die in dignity. Uh, because unfortunately, I think at some point, too, like, so I – not that I've had to experience this yet, and I, I need to look this up because I know this is going to be a thing for me, um, but, like, DNRs, and then what are your wishes during dying? Like, can you – because you know how many – like, the whole life-saving effort. Like, so the whole point is to constantly keep you – like, if you're coding or if you have a stroke or a heart attack or whatever, like, if your body is just letting go, it's it's a, amazing the amount that hospitals and doctors will put into you to keep that from happening process. Yeah, and it's very expensive, and it's very traumatic for the for the person and their survivors, and it's just really not a great situation at all. Mm -mm. 
My understanding is that DNRs, when properly done, are actually probably one of the best ways to assure that you or your person that you're caring for does get their wishes. Um, we had a DNR experience in our family, and there was a fight basically among the family. Um, certain people wanted to continue measures, others did not. And the hospital said, it doesn't matter, she has a DNR. These are her wishes. This is what we're willing to do and not do, and these are the exact circumstances under which we will do or not do them. So okay. hers, yeah, hers was very clear, very well laid out. Um, and so there was no questioning. So she got what she asked for. And unfortunately for that family member who was struggling, you know, that made it more difficult for that person to pass for them. But mm -hmm. that was what that person wanted. So mm -hmm. for the person dying, that was absolutely the most humane and peaceful thing we could have all done for her. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, if that helps at all, make sure that it is very well done. Um, the right attorneys are really worth their weight in gold for that, that you know, specific piece for sure. Right. And I think in situations like that, too, to make sure whoever, so, you know, very good on the hospital, they legally had to follow the DNR, the DNR but, you know, mm -hmm. they would have been didn't. So it's one of the things, having your family, like whoever's present, totally understand, like, I get it, like, the the heartbreaking moment of letting someone go, mm -hmm. but also, mm -hmm. like, you have to respect their wishes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think if you, you know, right. if it's somebody that you care about and you think you know better, let's say that, you know, I'm reckless with my health and I'm not making the right decisions, you, it's, you can't do anything about that. It's their life. They have a right, right to choose how they want to live and how they want to die. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, really, really, really important in birth and death and everything. So if you're going to those appointments and you're bringing an advocate, make sure that no matter how well-spoken and intelligent and well-versed on the subject your advocate is, that even if they don't wholeheartedly agree with your stance, that they understand it enough to advocate for you. My line of work is a perfect example. Do not invite people to your home birth who don't support home birth. Because even if mm. they're there for you in the moment, it still changes the energy. It's still going to change the experience. So making sure your family understands why your wishes are the way that they are, whether that's a DNR, home birth versus hospital, whatever it is, so that the people that are there for that experience, death is a little bit different because obviously they have to come to terms with that as well. But in those other times where you're inviting them into that space, they can be really supportive and help you get what you're looking for and honor that sovereignty for you, not question mm -hmm. it, make you doubt or say, mm, maybe we should look at something else. <laughs> no, this is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. It seems like we really need to have better conversations with our family um, about all of it, like, because I, I think we, you know, Laura said it earlier, we're so far apart from the processes of dying, the processes uh, with you too, Ryan, the, the processes of birth, like there are things that happen in all these situations in between that we just don't, we're not comfortable, like, I can understand mm -hmm. nobody's comfortable to death. So I think, you know, families just need to start talking about and getting more comfortable with the idea so that the expectation is already there. It's still going to be sad. Like, it's always going to be sad. But at least there's a, a better respect for everything that's going on. And so when, you know, they do become ancestors, it's, you know, it's more pleasant and yeah. they're given the respectful send-off that they've earned, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, another thing I'm surprised nobody's brought this up yet in the era of pandemic our vaccine. <laughs> and um I hope nobody's gonna hate on me for saying this, but I'm I'm I wouldn't say I'm anti vaccine, but I'm definitely real suspicious and guarded because of the things that we've been talking about. You know, there are protections in, in place for the pharmaceutical companies and there's really nothing that you can do if something happens to you because of a bad vaccine. Correct. And especially mm -hmm. with the things which are not really tested yet i mean because they're so new i would just be really really scared of being the guinea pig for that absolutely same here i was i always have this conversation i have a lot of friends that are in the epidemiology or you know in that 
uh, in the pathogen, like that's their work. And I'm always asking, I'm like, how, like, how trustworthy is this? And so because they're in medicine, they're like, oh, I'll be the first in line to get it. And I was like, okay, I can respect <laughs> that. That was, for me, um, I, I just don't know. Like anytime from, and this is my conspiracy theory self, and my paranoid self is anytime there's money involved behind something, yeah. mm-hmm. hard time. I have a hard time saying yes. But then also, so a friend of mine brought up a really good point. They actually might make it a point that you can't travel unless you get this vaccine. Mm. Right. So that's right. like that punches me because I'm like, that's I'm. This is what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for these everything to open up, the airlines to open up, so I can go. And then right. if I'm going to be told. I can't unless I get this vaccine. I'm just like, I, I don't know. Like at this point, I, I've never been put in a situation where I've really had to choose my health, like my, my sovereignty over my health. Uh, well, over I, my dis- I mean, I, I guess people can do that, but like there's a, what is it? Um, colonoscopy. So there's a colonoscopy thing, a test that once you reach a certain age, and it's, I don't know how expensive it is, but it's, it's certainly more expensive than one they do in the third world, which is the poop test. You, you poop on a piece of paper and they do it, and it's just as effective, and it costs like pennies. Maybe I'm exaggerating, a dollar. I don't know. But it's way, 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 way cheaper than a colonoscopy and much less invasive. And yet that's the gold standard that we have here. My feeling is because it costs so much more money and, you know, it's all about the dollars. So if there's got to be a different way other than vaccines that you could let people travel because I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe people in the third world will get these vaccines. I don't know. But what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. I think that that blanket requirement is also going to pose problematic anyway, because we already know that not everyone responds to vaccines in general. There are certain people who are IgA deficient who will never mount a response, no matter how many times we vaccinate them, even for the same singular pathogen. So unless they are also going to continue to follow up, unless they've also developed some sort of titer to determine what the immunity threshold is and when you develop it and then follow up too, that's still not even a guarantee that you're no longer a carrier, that you're not just an asymptomatic, that similar to some vaccines where you're still potentially uh, vulnerable, but just to a lesser extent, like with chickenpox, you might get like five spots instead of spots head to toe. We don't know that. So all of those unknowns and all of those variables are still going to come into play for years while we figure this out. So to say, to impose any restrictions really to me seems completely unethical because there's absolutely no way for them to ensure that the protection they're they're perpetuating or telling us we have, there's no way for them to prove that whatsoever because only time is going to give us that. And look at the HPV vaccine. I mean, yes. when that came out, it was like, oh, let's see these kids, this HPV, HPV is such a problem. And it wasn't any time at all before you saw these stories about how people were dying and, you know, just these horrendous stories about infertility. And, and these, these are kids who just haven't even started their lives yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just awful. Yes. And it's very interesting to me that, you know, you mentioned third world countries that were smart enough to ban that vaccine already because they saw the ovarian failure, the paralysis and all of the other things that came from it and said, no, these are not acceptable risks and side effects for this that only prevents certain strains. And that some data is showing now only makes other strains more virulent and more problematic. So there's, Mm so much there that we're still learning with that one. And now it is on the list to become next required for girls entering sixth grade. And they're targeting boys after that when we have no idea what this is going to do to that population for several strains that may or not may or may not ever be problematic to you. It's crazy. And you can't go after the vaccine manufacturer either. What well, other products do we make mandatory that has complete immunity for the maker? None. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I. It just. And also, are, are so are there going to be exemptions for it as well? I don't. Re- 
Well, so when I was a kid, I don't have my full set of vaccines from a child from childhood because one series that I received, I actually lost the loss of my legs. Um, oh, they, uh, what they said, yeah, I couldn't walk for two weeks, like two complete weeks. I mean, I was a kid. I thought I was in heaven because yeah, I, my I, my parents felt bad that they get me ice cream sandwiches. That's all I ate. <laughs> I know now they felt bad, and so that's. I was, I was actually, you know, they were just trying to alleviate their guilt and, and, you know, I I was getting reported. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, so I I did lose the the loss of my legs for like two weeks, but then afterwards, like, you know, I regained, obviously I I regained the ability to walk. And then there was um, my incident, I had an incident in uh, my 20s, my 20s. Um, where they gave me some kind of medication. And this is one that was, once again, I was young. I didn't do the research. And this is what started me, basically, on, on doing a lot of advocating for myself because I didn't know what they were putting into me. And then I realized it was um, – so they gave me methotrexate. And so this is um, – a radia- it's radiation. And they started using mm-hmm. it off-label, rheumatoid arthritis and things like that. So for me, they were actually using it for an ectopic pregnancy, so the idea was it was going to kill the growing cells. and um, But I didn't know any of this at the time. I was like, okay, they told me where to show up, and that's, you know. After, like the day after I got the injection, um, I immediately, like I almost went into liver failure. Like my enzymes started dropping. I had to go to the doctor every other day to give blood because, and, and my even my um, OBG, like he freaked out. Like he didn't know what was happening. And it didn't even work. Like, the embryo was still growing. And so, like, it's one of those things, like, I think, like, we we can't do coveralls for everybody. Like, there's always going to be a handful of people that don't. So, like, say say I can't take this vaccine because I, you know, liver issues or whatever else. So do I not get to travel now because that's your requirement? Or, like, you know, does it, it changes a lot of things on how this world's going to operate. Yeah. yeah. And currently yeah. right now the way to the only way to get medical exemptions just got incredibly more difficult and if you do not already have a diagnosis from a very specific list of conditions that they choose and they've identified you do not get a medical exemption. So even if you've had experiences like yours unless they specifically labeled it something like um you know Epstein-Barr and they classified it as a um severe event you will not get a medical exemption. Even though it's documented in your history, you will not get one. My daughter has seizures. That used to be on the list. It's not anymore. They will literally look me in the eye and say, it's okay if she has seizures for the rest of her life after this vaccine because she won't have COVID. Oh my God. I don't get to make that decision for her, even as her mom. They will tell me that that risk is acceptable, and that alone should terrify people. <laughs> And that's why I think people really got to know their health history and know what they're looking at. And one of the things that terrifies me is that if I should have to, like if I'm in an accident or something and um, I need anesthesia, that is to me is like my worst nightmare because I don't respond well to anesthesia and I'm, I'm scared to death of an overdose because it takes me a long time to wake up. <laughs> It's like right. I'm, I'm dead already with just a little teeny, teeny, tiny bit. So if somebody gives me too much, I don't know if I'm going to wake up. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm there with you. I have the same. Like, I can lick a Percocet and I'm out for hours. Like, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I can't do those. Um, I can't do any of those drugs. Like, I can't do anything in the Vicodin family. I can't do. Because it doesn't take that much to put me out. Um, yeah. And things like that like my husband's the opposite like it takes a lot to knock him out so where is this in the records like how does it how do you take care of somebody if if, you know you you're making an emergency decision on someone and you have no information on how they react to something Mm -hmm. yeah i think it needs to be a relationship between you and your provider your family anybody who knows you that might have a say in what happens to you if something should happen yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I'm talking about the relationship and it's a sovereignty. Sovereignty is at the root. If you can't take care of yourself, then I don't know. I'm sorry for you because you're leaving your your life in somebody else's hands who may not have the best interest at heart. 
Yeah. Or even the best information to make a good decision, yeah. even if their heart is in the right place. So that's true. Yeah, true. So I think everybody needs to be informed and we need to talk about these things and see, you know, what is good for our society. It's not always about the money. It's not always about living the longest because quality of life matters. I don't want to be a hundred years old if I'm, you know, miserable and pumped full of drugs. Right. <laughs> Agree. And then also, if somebody asks you, you know, ask if a family member asks you to advocate for them, you know, if you're if you're unable to or it doesn't agree with your beliefs, then you know, politely decline and let them ask. Who will stand up for them? Yeah. And some people don't have anybody, which I think is sad, you know. So I think, <laughs> I mean, it happens. You know, maybe you're an only child or things like that, but I think it really is important to have people to be connected. You can't just be a, a hermit. Yeah. And if you are someone that doesn't have anybody and still struggles with those, I don't want to be confrontational. I don't want them to hate me. Remembering to use those phrases, like, I'm sure you understand my hesitation. I just had a bad experience with this. Take ownership, bring them back to a little bit of compassion and empathy. And if need be, say, I need some time to think about this. Can we discuss this again at my next visit? And I'll make a decision then. Not everything is urgent and requires a decision on the spot, too. You absolutely can just pause Mm -hmm. and take your time. And that takes the confrontation out of it. Don't let them get in your face. Say, I'm ready to leave. Thank you for your time. And that's it. That's the end of the appointment. You make a new one to discuss your decision. Well, thank you guys for being here. I hope uh, you've given me some things to think about. And I hope we've given our audience some things to think about. And, you know, maybe each one of us can make a difference in our own lives and the lives of others just by talking about stuff like this. So thank um, you to all the audience who's been here today. If you'd like to support us, like, share, subscribe on our all of our social media channels. Come see us on the Facebook group, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>